Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobile World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. This would be episode number 37, recorded on March 22nd, 2022. And on this edition of the podcast, we're going to speak with Lizzie Goldmeyer, who works in marketing for BriefCam, a company that works in the field of video analytics. Some interesting stuff here. But first, here's Grant with some tech news. Grant, it's been a little while since you've had an opportunity to do a news report. So let's jump right into that now. Yeah, um, it's been a few episodes uh, because we had a a couple of very in-depth episodes where we delivered a lot of uh, information and I didn't want to overload people with uh, the fun stuff, Alan, that I do with you. But hey, um, look, uh, people are aware of a lot of this stuff, but I I think it is is good to talk about uh, a lot of things that are going on in technology and the news that are kind of important. And, and one of the big thing is um, we all know what LIDAR is, okay? And, and Wait, 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 wait. Just, okay, start from the beginning. Do not assume. Okay. Okay. So LIDAR is a, um, a frequency-based um, proximity technology that sends out laser or some type of, of, um, of um, signal around around you to know you're there and it's set by can be set by range speed distance and so all the new smart cars uh even the car i drive now has lidar and what that means is i can't cross this i can't cross lanes in my car i can't catch up to the car from me too quickly um in fact lidar lidar will be the future of self-driving cars um and and and, and you know, and then the reason being is, and I'll give an example, Alan. I drove my car all the way to Muskoka hands-free. Did you really? Yeah. Now that was without my wife Joyce because she would yes, never allow it. I was it. about um, to say. Oh, well, not a chance. But I had Kristen with me, and she thought it was pretty cool. I'm talking turning on the ramps and everything. Wow. So. Yeah, now you have to have your hands close to the wheel because it's going to make mistakes if it's sure. you know, on something. But in generally, I didn't need it. Okay, can you do that in the city? No, but in the highway, yes. And so, hmm. the reason I bring this up is that they're saying that you know it will be the secret sauce for connected vehicles and smartest city adoption. So, right now, um, I think we had our highest number of fatalities in car crashes this year since 2007, mm-hmm. okay? And approximately half of those, these people were engaged in speeding, alcohol impairment, and things like that, okay? Not wearing a seat, blah, blah. Well, you see, the idea of a ladder is it stops all that. The autonomous vehicle stops that. Well, you've got this LIDAR, which is sending out these signals, or what we call light light laser light detection, and it's... Um, Send out this beam that's creating a, a, a 3D vision from your computer in your car. So what's happened now, if you set it correctly, the right number of pulses, the sensors, just think of what you're doing 3D. Um, you're protecting the car. And what are you doing? You're making it safer on the roads. And they think, and I agree with it, by the way, it will be the number one savior on the streets. And so it's very important. 
and, and by the way, so this is not going to be on cars, robots, everything else, but I think cars is what we're talking about here. I Don't some Apple devices have LiDAR in them? Absolutely, absolutely. But I mean, when you look at LiDAR, where I can make it do certain things by knowing how far I am from something, or uh, even NFC could be in, in a, a theory like it, but it's not. But, um, but really, just think of what it'll do. I mean, it will be sitting on streetlights and motion traffic based on speed. It'll make everything more safer. And I, and I believe it is going to be the number one most important thing in the safety of uh, all these things. Knowing how fast you can pass a car, uh, how quickly you can come up to intersection. Uh, it's just going to, in my viewpoint, I believe it's going to revolutionize the whole industry of fire safety goes. And this is usable for 3D modeling of your environment. Sure. Um, and, and, and you have to understand, uh, I was reading some stats. And I think like in 2014 or 15, there's over 85 billion hours of driving by Americans. Okay. And, if, and, and by the way, so I want to tell you why I bring that up. Because that takes time and bandwidth, right? Kilowatts per hour, all that things. So I told you about the safety side. With LiDAR also, we'll use way less kilowatts per hour in the billions, by the way. Kilowatts per hour, which means now we're talking about the other good side of this is saving of power and, and congestion and all those other great things. So you hear about it a lot. You hear about, of course, Tesla and it failed and they did this. But the fact is um, I use it now. I do use it, Alan. I drive on the highway and I set my speed and it only allows me to change lanes if I put my signal on manually. Um, so if I'm following a car, it slows down, I slow down. If I turn in that lane, it turns in that lane. If I send my signal up, I can then turn the wheel into the other lane. So can you imagine just the little things? Think about you and me driving and we're yapping our stupid hat off and forgetting. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. So it's good. I, I think it's, I really think that when people always bring up these technologies that are going to be the future, um, and, and I don't know, I haven't heard too many people on any shows yap much about LiDAR. All right. So the takeaway from this particular story is you're a fan of LiDAR and you believe that it's going to transform many things in the near to long-term future. And all for the better of safety, even though that's not what it's totally designed for. Got it. All right. What else? Okay. Um, well, I mean, I'm not trying to go back to COVID, but when a major firm makes a decision like this, it is truly going to reflect the transformation of the workplace. And we talk about this a lot, but Google, as we know, has now agrees there's no going back to the old office life. Right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if I say it, big deal. If even Starbucks says it, big deal. They're already going to remote stuff. They're going to no one in the stores, drive through. I get all that. I get all that. Law office, yeah, half are going. I get it. But Google, now think of Google. This is how Google operated. Not only did you, they want you to work there, they sent these nice pearl white buses to pick you up, feed you breakfast while they drove you to work. Then when you got to work, you worked all day and they would feed your family if you came to work so you would work longer. And of course, they have the best chefs. Have you been to Google? I have. It's amazing, guys. Come on. I mean, the one in 
that Google had offices, like you got every chef you want. There's, they make it so you don't want to go home. Okay. That's it. They do okay? your laundry. They do everything. Now, so when they say, when they say, okay, that's over, kind of, but it's over. You got to tell you something. That's seismic. This is not like uh, the average guy. This is a seismic shift. And I think, and by the way, it did this to soften. It was under pressure to do it. Um, but the fact is, when they did it, they realized it worked. That's what I think a lot of people were afraid of, right? Including anyone. Will this work? Well, it's worked. Okay. And here's what I found out. Productivity went up 13%. Yeah. We're seeing that across industry where- Oh, yeah, yeah we are. We are. Where the work, where the work from home option has actually turned people into more productive employees and happier employees because they happier don't- Happier is more productive. Yes. Yeah. Me. <laughs> they don't have they don't have to commute. They don't have to park. They don't have to do you know Spend all twenty that minutes going school. for a walk outside. Yeah. Take your dog out. Who cares? But but I think what's newsworthy here is all these places are saying, oh yeah, it's going to go back. The well wishers, of course, are the ones who own the big commercial office towers. I get it. What I, what do you want them to say? Okay, but it's not happening. It's not going to happen. But to prove it out, when Google makes an announcement like that, whether you like them or not. That is a seismic shift. And who leads the world in analytics? Oh, Not even yeah. close. Not even close, right? Google. You think Google's making the decision because, oh, yeah, it feels way better. These guys live the world of analytics. They know more than all of us and our show we're doing today. They know more about analytics than anybody. They invented it. And, and so and- – and the uh, the data set is is huge. There's 135,000 full time employees at Alphabet. No, just think that. But, but yeah, and, and 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 but if we all know the Google experience, it's all about going there. And how do you make that shift, Alan? It's so if they're making that shift, there's no doubt it's happening. Well, I feel it already. So I'm interested to see how does the commercial world deal with that. The real estate world, I've often said that because we know mixed residential is growing like crazy. And what I mean by that, you see, all you see now is towers that are 20 to 80 stories high and it's condos and the bottom three floors or two floors is, is retail. We call that mixed use, you know, mixed res. And that's what's being built, not office towers. Mm-hmm. They're going to do it. They're going to have an office floor. They're going to work from an office floor. Yeah, there's still going to be offices to go to when they have to meet. I would take those office towers now. <laughs> I'd knock out the top 15 floors and build condos. That's what I do. That may, in fact, happen because so many people now realize that they don't need the industrial office space footprint that they had pre-COVID. And the technology that facilitated remote working was accelerated by 10x, 100x over the last two years. Correct. And as a result, it worked way better than anyone ever thought it would. So where do we go from here? And there's so many people, you read in the paper every single day, X percentage of this company or these types of workers refuse, not just aren't looking forward to it, but refuse to go back to the office full-time. Correct, correct. I just think that that we're not talking, oh, actually we are. It'll affect every technology there is. So when I said the smart city changes, it totally changes how we talk, order, do things, transcribe trips. There'll be more Ubers. It's going to be all kinds of things. So I think it's, 
I just think that when Uber makes an announcement like that, that's a big change. That's that's all I want to say. You know, and and you think about uh, business travel, all forms of business travel, airlines, for example. Everything. I mean, they all okay. They right. made a statement. Let's see how it happens with that statement. Let's see who also follows. Um, my um, my last one is totally different because you know we always like to talk about the environment as well, um, and that's part of being smart. Um, and you may know this one already, but I just think it's kind of unique and cool. I'm not telling you it's the future of everywhere because it can't be. The hydroelectric tech that's going to be used on trucks for instead of having dams. What? What? Okay. So, so right now, as you know, dams um, are used. They well, hydroelectric dams. They generate a lot of electricity, right? Uh-huh. Um, but they also disrupt the environment in a uh, in a big way. Okay. Sure. So you put a dam across a river, cause a reservoir, and you know, and uh, to form directly upstream. Okay. So the gate is a dam. When open water comes, generates electricity. Blah blah blah. Turns on the turbines. Right. Um, great. Great. I get it. Everyone gets it. But what they have figured out is they've made these electric truck hydropower system. So think of uh, a truck, a, a tanker truck. Um, so that's a big tank and it drives up the hill empty to the top of the mountain where the river starts and then fills that truck with the water. And when they, as it drives down this hill to what we'll call the discharging area, they're generally all they're doing um, is they're breaking almost all the way down, which is causing the water to charge. And when it gets to the bottom of that destination, okay, it then discharges the water tank. And so, it, so, so wait, it, these these water tanks become giant cathodes? Yes, they they generate electricity. They regenerate to the braking system. So okay. as they go down, they're, they're, they're just riding their, their brakes all the way down. The water is, is adding to the vehicle's inertial mass, as you know how it works, like a river. And then what happens, by the time they get to the bottom, they've generated a whole bunch of electricity that is then set, that is passed on, dumped, and then go back up empty again <laughs> with a replacement battery because they've charged this whole grid. Here you go. Give me another one. Up they go back up and come down with a new battery. Huh. And um, they're, so they'll be um, – Think of the top is a river, and these trucks are just coming down. Bottom is a discharge site, backs up, discharges, goes on the grid, back up the hill. And, and it, it, it really replaces the, um, the, um, the energy consumption, and it could generate, they're saying scientists, between one, about 1.2 petawatt of hours of energy a- annually, okay? Which costs mean- petawatts, so that would cost you for about 3 4% of the world's energy. No, no. Is anybody using this so far? Um, well, um, okay. I've been reading all about it. And so I can't say who's using it. I guess maybe I'll try to come back with that. Okay. Next site. Um, I know for sure it's being tested. Uh, that is for sure. Now, what do you get rid of all when you do this? Well, you don't kill fish anymore. I know it's not a big deal to everybody. You don't kill the fish plankton. You don't kill the water. And so, um, it does two things. It saves the environment, which a lot of people want. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and, but also any place with steep hills anywhere, this can be deployed. There's no fence. Now think of the cost to build the reservoir. Never mind when it's running mm-hmm. and the cost to maintain it. That's all gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, and I never thought this would be possible. 
And when I dreamed about it, I started doing, making notes of it, right? And so essentially it charges electricity for you. And it's so simple. The process is so simple. And then all you do is you hook it up to a municipal grid and you got your grid electricity. And, you know, when you're saying this could charge, you know, 4% of the world's energy, that's huge. Briefcam is a company that can take video from a variety of sources and slice it in a million different ways to reveal actions and behaviors that would take a human being hundreds and hundreds of hours to do the same thing. Lizzie Goldmeyer works with their marketing department, and we wanted to learn more. So we called her up. So, Lizzie, let's uh, start from the very beginning and explain who you are and the nature of your company. Sure. So my name is Lizzie Goldmeyer. I am the director of marketing um, at BriefCamp, which is a leader in the video analytics space. Um, video analytics is um, an industry that enables users of video surveillance to extract more value from those investments. So anyone that is using um, video surveillance, whether it's for security or you know real-time monitoring, they can layer video analytics as a technology on top of those existing investments and, and gain more insights into their environment. It, in short, it kind of turns video itself into a data point. Um, so I can give a few examples of that and hopefully... Yeah kind of explain that a bit more. Yeah, um, that's that seems a little uh, um, high-minded uh, <laughs> for, for, for somebody like me. Ex- explain what that means. Sure thing. So um, let's take the example of a city, I guess, because that's what we're here to discuss, smart cities. Um, so many cities around the world um, have invested heavily in video surveillance. Um, you know, they'll have cameras for all sorts of things. And video analytics is a technology that kind of that kind of helps them use this this surveillance resources um, to their full potential. So um, when we're talking about law enforcement, um, one of the big challenges that law enforcement face with video surveillance is just reviewing the video. You know, sometimes they'll have a case and they'll know that, you know, we we probably have evidence within this video, but, you know, to review 24 hours of video from three cameras over the course of three days, you know, how many people will that take? How much time will that take? Um, and with a video analytics tool, what you can do is you can filter that video and say, well, I'm not, I know exactly what I'm looking for in this video. I just need to find it faster. Um, so a recent example um, that kind of, you know, brief cam was involved in that's kind of been in the news um, is the Chicago police. So when they were investigating the Jesse Smollett case, I think it was last year or two years ago, they had all this video of the, of the street where the, where the alleged crime took place. And they were able to search the video recordings of that street historically and find other appearances of the vehicle um, that was involved in the crime. And, kind of reverse engineer and understand, wait a second, this vehicle appeared multiple times. What was it doing there? And then dig into the video from, from those instances closer and on closer inspection, you know, they were able to understand, huh, there's something here. This isn't, this isn't what it appears. And then, you know, using video analytics to search and filter the video, they were able to focus their investigation to the, to the most relevant video instead of reviewing all of it and use that video as evidence to prove their case, um, which just closed. So I'm guessing this involves artificial intelligence and machine learning. <laughs> yes. Plus, you obviously have to have a place with surveillance, place with 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 cameras that um, are pointed at the potential crime scene. 
what, okay, let's, let's take this one, one at a time. Talk about the cameras first. So you, where did this Jesse Smollett video come from? Yeah, are, they, are, these cameras, are these cameras agnostic or do they have to be a specific type of camera? Maybe I'll take a step back. Technologies like BriefCam, video analytics technologies, empower people, companies, and communities to take this video and, and use it for different things. So whether that's searching video and filtering it for to find specific instances in video for evidence, for you know any sort of purpose, um, there's real-time alerting. So again, using that machine learning and artificial intelligence that you talked about to kind of understand all the objects that appeared in video you know, identify what they are, index them so that for both to drive that search, but also to drive real-time alerting. Um, and finally, the the third kind of pillar of, of BriefCam's technology is this, is this um, business intelligence. So again, taking all that indexed data from metadata from video and, and using it to create visualizations and business intelligence that can be analyzed to drive decision-making. Um, so again, you know, when you look at video and you're reviewing video one segment at a time, you might not notice, you know, an important detail like that car keeps appearing on that street or, you know, there's a lot of people jaywalking at this corner. But when you take that video and you break it down to its to the objects, the things that are appearing, the behaviors that are happening, and you're able to, to structure that unstructured data, suddenly a lot of sophisticated analysis becomes possible and, and visualization is one application, you know, being able to say through heat maps, for example, you know, where are our biggest traffic hotspots um, or, you know, understanding how many cars are at an intersection of interest um, per hour per day, or even, you know, getting a real time alert for when X number of cars is stopped at an intersection. That's unusual. Usually traffic is, is moving pretty steadily there. Why suddenly the pileup um, and calling, you know, attention to a change in the environment. And, you know, these kind of use cases can be used for all sorts of things. But but the common thread is that suddenly this video, which, you know, in the past would have to be manually reviewed, wouldn't necessarily actually get manually reviewed because it takes, you know, it's a time consuming and manpower heavy job, um, now suddenly this, this video that's already been invested in, that already exists, can be really leveraged for a lot of value in a lot of different ways. How much labor does this save? Let's say that you're looking at a particular intersection and you want to look at something over the course of like seven days, 24 hours a day. To do this properly, you would need somebody to go through 168 hours with a video and make all kinds of human guesses as to what they're actually seeing. So how how long could you do you take to get that job done? Um, it probably depends on how many objects are in the video, but you know the the benchmark we kind of give is you know twenty four hours of video can be evaluated in minutes as opposed to hours. That's um, what I figured. I figured seconds even. Oh. Depending on how much video you're talking about, yeah, it, it varies uh, and it depends on a lot of a lot of factors, but. Um, so let's see, is it software, is it 100% software based? So you're not supplying the CCTV technology. Um, what you're doing is taking readily available video 
and using that video data to serve what type of searches uh, through AI or any other type of analytics to come up with uh, uh, with an algorithm that says, uh, this table says, these are the things I'm looking for, and it goes and searches those and provides you the results. Um, so BriefCam's technology is kind of camera and VMS agnostic, and we, we right. integrate across the industry. Um, we're kind of an open yeah, yeah. And, and we work with both um, kind of like on-demand processing and, um, and real-time processing. So we can work with historic video that's recorded and kind of be, that can be fed into the system, like video files. Um, and we can also work with, you know, direct feeds from a video management system um, that's being recorded in real time or being recorded and then stored um, in the video management system. Give me an example of something historical that you've done. That's that sounds really cool because you can actually take old film from whenever and learn something from it. Um, I can't say that we <laughs> that, that like again we um, we provide the technology, so we don't always have you know complete insight into how all the use cases are and users using. I could share some some interesting stories. That yeah, do that over do time. That. This is this is fascinating because you know it, it, it's you you begin to see the world in an entirely new way when you have somebody that or something that can analyze visual cues in ways that humans can't. So give us some examples. Absolutely. Um, so maybe a, an interesting example, kind of I find really interesting, was a recent one that we had from a customer that wasn't a city; it was a business that was looking. Um, they were looking into video analytics before the pandemic hit. But then when the pandemic hit, they suddenly they suddenly kind of realized that, you know, this this kind of technology could open a whole new a whole new opportunity for them to really to really protect their employees and keep their business running smoothly during the pandemic. Um, So specifically for contact tracing, you know, the ability to to you know, understand from an employee that they're a confirmed case and by and while protecting their anonymity you know, say, find their appearances in video and then understand other employees at risk um, in close contact with that employee, whether they were wearing masks, whether they came within a certain proximity of the employee, and then being able to drive that contact tracing while kind of protecting the the identity of the person who's sick and kind of recommend next steps. They, they, they the business, you know, estimated that they, that they, reduced their efforts by four times. You know, they saved four times the amount of time it took to do it manually that they were able to do it with video analytics, um, which is obviously quite significant when <laughs> you're talking about the scale of the last two years and, and quite a large business. So, um, and, and beyond that, you know, things like just being able to see where, you know, the common areas where things like um, physical distancing, you know, was being, you know, wasn't, um, wasn't being executed to its, to its best degree, you know, saying there's a lot of crowding in these three hallways. Um, what can we do to reduce traffic at these times of day or make sure that employees are able to pass through these areas, you know, safely without, without being in such close proximity to one another? Um, and, and to make work feel like it can still continue without, um, without putting their employees at risk and, and just you know, being able to demonstrate how they're protecting them. And also just, you know, for demonstrating for compliance purposes, a lot of, a lot of businesses, a lot of um, governments required 
businesses that were open to show, um, to, to demonstrate that they were able to keep their employees safe and, and uphold these mandates and just the ability to show a dashboard. Like this is our rate of mask wearing compliance. This is our rate of uh, physical distancing compliance is very powerful. Um, and it's funny because, you know, in a, in a different kind of interview, not a podcast, I would say, you know, one of the most amazing things about video analytics technology is that it's so visual. Um, you can, you, you know, you take video and you transform it into something that is so, that is so easy to analyze and so easy to use, but it's <laughs> to describe it in words is, is, um, is it not a challenge that we're usually faced with because it's um it's very visual and and that's one of the reasons it's so powerful is because suddenly insights that you you really couldn't see about your environment and really couldn't understand about the day-to-day um, operations of your business or of your city or or whatever environment it is suddenly become very easily consumable and, and actionable i have a question then about can i give you a hypothetical sure Okay, I uh, run a music venue and I am looking at people coming in. I am looking at their traffic patterns uh, when they go to their seats. I'm looking at when they go to the bathroom. I'm looking at where and when they go to the concession stands and the merchandise stands. Is that sort of thing that you could help me with? Absolutely. Um, So that's a great example. So just, you know, a venue... Um, like a music venue. So first of all, just even entrances and exits, you know, understanding um, are there bottlenecks at the entrance? How long does it take people to go from the door to the seats, from the door to other areas where you, where you're directing them to go. And we even had, um, we even had a a customer use case where um, the business wanted to understand the paths people were taking when they were walking in. So they weren't necessarily assuming, you know, they're going directly to their seats maybe you know you'd want to understand in a perfect world people are coming in and they're going directly to their seats or people are coming in and they're going directly to the concession stands or you know people are going a totally different way to an area where they're not even allowed to be and oh my god like we can do something about that but you know you can you can visualize where people are going and and how they're getting there and how long it takes them another another powerful use case kind of for a venue is um is I'll say maintenance and cleaning, right? So understanding instead of saying we're going to have someone clean the bathroom once an hour, understanding how you know when forty-five people enter the bathroom, I want an alert, and we're going to trigger um, you know a request for the cleaning crew to go in and clean that area. Um, you know, obviously for for a business that's thinking about staffing and management and operations, you know, when you want the experience to be seamless and and clean and and comfortable for for a visitor, um, the the ability to kind of to kind of utilize and, and direct your staff efficiently um, is very powerful. You know, you're not you're not um, you're using staff to their to their full potential, and you're not just sending cleaning crews to send cleaning crews. You're sending them when the space needs cleaning, and and same with you know, concession stands and cashiers, you know, being alerted, queues are starting to get really long at the cashiers. It, it might be, it might be time to open a new, a new lane or, you know, every Tuesday night we're having issues, um, you know, with, with queue control. Um, and it's not an issue any other night, but it's always an issue on Tuesdays or, you know, the third Tuesday of every month, being able to see that data and saying, oh, well, we'll just hire an extra person for that day. Suddenly that operational decision is is 
is justifiable. It's, it's, you can back it up with data, but you haven't, you aren't making any kind of estimates. You're, you're making decisions based on something concrete and something that you're already recording and capturing a video, but you're just now able to analyze it and understand what it means. What do we do about privacy? I mean, this is a form of surveillance. And in the most sinister definition of surveillance, you're watching people's movements and, and habits. So um, are there limits to what you can do, should do? Or, or how do you ensure that the people that are being surveilled or the habits that are being watched are, are maintained, have a certain amount of privacy to go along with them? Or is that something that depends on, on the use? So it definitely, um, it definitely falls to the end user to, to apply the technology in accordance um, with the applicable laws um, of their domain. Um, and, you know, as a business, BriefCam is committed to protecting the privacy and preventing abuses of our technology. Um, so, I mean, we support the need for regulation around the use of CCTV technologies um, and video analytics capabilities. Um, and we encourage the users of our technology to develop internal guidelines and policies for the proper use of video analytic capabilities. And obviously, we, as part of our agreements, prohibit licensees to make any use prohibited by applicable laws um, forbidden. Yeah, there are no all laws, Alan. So, you okay. know, when you're in the public, that's public video. Uh, there is no law, no such law in the world. Okay, so. So you can use it any way you want. I, I understand that, but you're you're going to get people squawking about it, obviously. Oh well, those people don't know they're filmed every minute they walk around right now. Well, all every, every is- minute, and all you've got to do is talk on Instagram. You just sent your whole picture everywhere in the world, anyhow. Um, so although it's companies' jobs to, uh, I guess, set policy, that's not going to happen. Okay, um, they're not going to share a person getting beat up, of course, but they can't stop it. They literally legally cannot stop it. So the the analytics side is generally you're doing analytics for the purpose of doing something better. Okay. So it would not be in your best interest to be showing video of you know people beating each other up, of course, unless that's your subject matter. But as far as the guidance of uh, Big Daddy or or uh, government watching it, there's no such law. Okay. Fair enough. You have offices all over the place now, um, UK, Middle East, USA. What um, what have you seen as, as this technology is is rolled out in different levels of sophistication? Who who really gets this? Who knows what they're doing? By, I think by more there? like region, because when you, when you see, when yeah, I okay. see the Middle East, and I'm not, no respect for Canada or US, but the Middle East, so you understand, um, have taken technology much quicker particularly in the video side and the analytics of what they're doing with, with technology and has always come from the Middle East. Be curious on how it rolled out and how, where it came popular first. Sure. So I can't obviously, um, you know, share customer information. That's, that's um, their prerogative to share, not ours. What I can say is that our technology is used all over the world. Um, and it's, um, I can't say that, Adoption is necessarily different based on region, um, but it's definitely, it varies. I mean, I guess it varies mostly by the end user environment, right? So 
you know, if you're talking about a government or a law enforcement use case, it really just depends on, on budget more than anything else. Are, you know, if the government and police department can justify um, adding this technology to their technology stack, um, you know, they're more likely to have a, you know, a broader instance and a more comprehensive um, video analytics capability set. Um, governments that don't have that flexibility, obviously, are less inclined to adopt. Kind of what we're seeing now, and and to the to the point of what we were just discussing, Alan, is that um, you know video analytics and, and video surveillance really was for a long time firmly in the domain of safety and security. And what we're seeing more and more is that companies um, and private businesses that understand how video can be used for deeper analysis and business intelligence and kind of you know, it can it can add a, a new layer of sophistication to their decision making. They're starting to get interested and adopt it. Um, and and what we're seeing is, you know, companies that that were once ad- were evaluating our technology for strictly security purposes are understanding. I can bring more stakeholders to the table and and explain to the marketing team and the merchandising team or, you know, the operations team all the different ways that they can leverage this technology as well. And and suddenly the question of adopting the technology isn't just, you know, this is another cost in our security technology stack. It suddenly becomes, you know, a contributor to the, to the profit of the business. You know, it can be used to, to garner insights that drive revenue and, and drive really sophisticated decision-making, you know, that example I gave before about, you know, when people walk into a store, where do they go? You know, by understanding where it is that they go and the paths that they take, a, a retailer can say, interesting, people tend to go this way. What if I put my highest value product right there, or the product that I most want them to interact with at that place? And suddenly retailers can maybe test and understand how people are interacting within the physical space. You know, this is something that they've been able to do on their websites, but now suddenly they're able to do it in the physical domain. Um, and it's a whole new user that's getting value out of that video surveillance that wasn't realizing that value before. What about smart cities? What We, we talked about traffic and traffic management. What other things can cities use this these kinds of analytics for in order to make a community safer, more efficient, and otherwise work better? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Smart city isn't about um, doing analytics in a store or doing anything. We all have that. My interest more is, as you know, in smart city is making a community happier, making the experience happier. And I noticed something on um, on the company that talked about healthcare, mm-hmm. and that is a big deal. And so, how how do you make the experience with healthcare in a smart world? for uh, for people um sure so maybe i'll break down that question into into two parts i'll i'll start with the smart city and then i'll i'll move into healthcare. um and really the the story is the same for both um and it's the same story that that i just shared for retail but maybe with some different nuances so in the past when a city was investing in video surveillance it was strictly for security enablement and and helping law enforcement reduce crime and protect the residents and with with the you know kind of increased sophistication of today's video analytics suddenly cities are able to look to video analytics and the business intelligence it provides to consider how not 
only can the technology be used to protect residents, um, but also to support local businesses and drive economic growth and attract new businesses and, and spur tourism even. So obviously part of this is that kind of sophistication with investigation and alerting and kind of empowering law enforcement to be you know, productive and proactive in their response to situational changes and investigations. But it's also about kind of understanding long-term trends and how different areas of the city are being used. Um, and again, it's not just that the end users, you know, in the law enforcement department of the city are shifting, but it's it's the whole city in general. So, you know, right right now, maybe video surveillance for a city is in the domain of the police department. But if the police department can demonstrate, let's say, to the urban planning department, you know, we can we have a technology that can show you where, you know, people are 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 loitering you know, where cars are loitering, let's say. And, and then with that data, you can understand every place that there's a, there's a major problem with cars parking where they're not supposed to park and, you know, forget just ticketing, um, <laughs> which I would say isn't even the most optimal application of the technology, but it's deeper than that. Suddenly the urban planning body of the, of the local government is able to say, why are people parking there? And, what could we do to prevent that? And, and where do we need to build infrastructure in this area to make it easy to park? Because, you know, if people are parking here, it means that they don't have somewhere else to park and they need to get access to these businesses. What can, what change can we make on the city planning level to make this a more comfortable area to frequent? People aren't going to frequent it if they're not finding parking, if it's frustrating, if they're stressed about getting a ticket. And that's where the quality of life story begins to develop is suddenly other departments of the city you know, can utilize this technology and make decisions based on insights that they didn't have before. Um, and that goes, you know, for the highway authority, where, where are, where are our most problematic speeding areas? Um, you know, where, where are we seeing stretches of highway where people are speeding the most? Do we need to increase signage there? Do we need to, you know, add a lane? Do what, what changes can we make that then can prevent some of these traffic violations and, and, and make it more attractive to, to, to be in our city and to be traveling through the stretch of highway. It's also even, you know, a matter of public parks, let's say. Where are people convening? Are people using this park or that park? Why are people not visiting this park? Is it because it's in a neighborhood where people don't go to the park? What could we put in the park to make people visit more? Is the park, you know, is, is it just a matter of putting a crosswalk to get to the park because it's so difficult to access the park that people are either jaywalking or not going to the park at all? Um, suddenly, city planners can can take the data from video and, and evaluate it and understand how they can increase satisfaction with city infrastructure. And it can, it can become a part of their planning um, for traffic flows, for public transportation, for, for housing, all sorts of all sorts of use cases, and and again, the same is true in a, in a healthcare environment, right? So let's say a hospital. Um, typically, hospitals have security cameras for security, um, or surveillance cameras, I should say, for security purposes. And of course, video analytics can make security at a hospital more sophisticated. You know, they can set up an alert um, in the pharmacy. You know, if they're having, let's say robberies on the pharmacy, people are taking medicine. You know, they can set up an alert when when someone 
is in the pharmacy after hours that, you know, when there's not supposed to be someone there or, um, you know, someone accessing a, a cabinet with, you know, certain medication that's very sensitive. And, you know, every time someone goes near there, security can review and say, wait a second, that person isn't supposed to be there. I need to go intervene because they're not allowed. They're not authorized to take medicine from that cabinet. But then again, it can also be used to make hospital hospital operations run smoother. So, you know, obviously the, the cleanliness at a hospital is of the utmost priority, understanding, you know, traffic within a hospital so that maintenance crews can be dynamic and be deployed based on usage of different spaces, understanding whether waiting rooms are being used to their full capacity and, and making sure that traffic is flowing, you know, part of, and especially now in hospitals, you know, people don't want to be in crowds and on top of each other and, and making sure that, you know, there's adequate signage and there's adequate spaces for people to go to and that they're aware of them. And, and if the, if the, you know, the data is showing that people aren't really getting to the different waiting rooms of the different areas of the hospital, driving that, um, and, you know, developing solutions that work and being able to measure them with the tools that enable that. And, and of course, you know, hospitals also have, you know, they're not, they're not retailers. That's not their main business, but hospitals also have restaurants and cafeterias and coffee shops and concession stands. And, you know, those tenants also could gain real value from understanding the times of day they have the most crowds, the, you know, when people are likely to come to be able to be responsive when unexpected traffic is coming through the hospital, you know, to say, okay, maybe we need to, you know, we need to be prepared for, for more transactions. We might need to, you know, call in someone who's out sick today or, you know, not someone who's out sick today, but, you know, like bring in more, more employees to help cover the additional traffic um, or know where to point people to if the queues are too long at our station, maybe we can point them to a different station where there's fewer people waiting in line. So kind of just having that insight um, means that the people using that space can suddenly can suddenly just have a more seamless and streamlined experience. This has been really interesting. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you uh, explaining where analytics are being used, video analytics are being used, and, and where they could be going in the future. Thank you very much, Lizzie. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for this edition of the Smart City Podcast. Upcoming programs will feature more smart people and their ideas for connecting us together through smart technologies. If you have any questions or comments, send them to feedback at thesmartcity.blog. If you want our website, it's thesmartcity.blog. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical productions by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.